I want you to go to Colossians chapter number three tonight. Colossians chapter number three is where we're going to find uh, our text this evening. And um, uh, I want you to look, if, if you would, in Colossians chapter three in verse number one. Colossians three in verse number one. I want you to see this verse. I'm going to read it, and then what I'd like for us to do, I'd like for us to all read it together. This is a great verse, and this, this is a marvelous chapter. Colossians chapter number three is such a hopeful, life-giving, uh, transformative chapter in life. And I want you to see it. We're going we're to begin looking at it tonight, and we'll, uh, we'll look at it here for a couple of weeks as we prepare our hearts for our fall revival, which begins three weeks from today. And of course, if you think about it, I get two Sunday nights between now and then, because next Sunday we'll have a guest. So I'm going to get the 11th, and I'm going to get the 25th. With Lord's help, I want to preach a two-part message on Colossians chapter number three in preparation for uh, this revival meeting. Look, look at that verse, would you? Verse number one. I'm going to read it, and, uh, and then I want you to read it with me. Here we go. The Bible says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Isn't that a great verse? It's a simple verse, but it's a wonderful verse. I want you to read it with me. You've got your Bible there in front of you. And so why don't you do that? Why don't you join me? And let's read that together. When you see the commas and the different things there, just pause for a moment, and we'll all stay together. But let's read it together. Here we go. Ready? If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Brother Aaron, I want you to do something for me. I want to do that again. And when, I, and we, get, when we get going, I want you to cut my microphone off. And I just want to, because I, I, I can only hear myself up here. That's a, these monitors are working really well tonight. That's good. We need that. But I want to hear you read it. I just, it was faint. It was just really, really dull. And, uh, and so let's read that verse again. Would you do that? Would you maybe put a little bit more into it than you did the first time? Can you do that for us? Uh, you're familiar with it now. And so let's read it together again. Here we go. Ready? Uh, Colossians 3.1. Ready? If... That sounded so wonderful, just as, just as wonderful as any song. There's something about the Word of God, isn't there? Something about Scripture and us reading it all together, being on the same page, and what a blessing that is. I want to preach to you tonight, and next Sunday, well, not next Sunday, two Sundays from now, I want to preach to you a message that I've entitled, The Risen Life. The Risen Life. Would you bow your heads with me, and let's just ask the Lord's blessing upon the reading of His Word and our time together here in the text tonight. Father, thank you. Thank you for this wonderful day that you've blessed us with. Thank you for Collins. A salvation, what, what a blessing that is, uh, Lord, to know that he heard the gospel this morning and you worked in his heart and in his life and he responded and he bowed his head and he humbled himself and he repented of his sin and placed his faith and trust in Jesus. Lord, may we never tire of hearing, uh, Lord, those kinds of reports and may we, may we see it on this wise every Sunday in which uh, people are coming, people are being exposed to the gospel. I pray for, I believe, at least two others that raised their hand that did not respond. I pray, Lord, that you would convict them, and, and Lord, that you would draw them unto yourself. May they be back here again next Sunday, maybe even call us this week, that we might have an opportunity to share Christ with them, that they'd be saved. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. We're not even guaranteed five minutes from now. And so, Lord, help us to be cognizant of that and aware that life is so very, very fragile, and the decisions that need to be made uh, Lord, need to be made now. 
uh, need to be made in this moment as there are no guaranteed moments in the future. Now meet with us here tonight. Help me as I preach this message. Uh, fill me and use me. I want to be a blessing, Lord, to our church family. Lord, you have spoken to my heart through this text. I pray that you just help me to pass the things that I've learned along to them. And, uh, Lord, that you would use it in all of our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned a moment ago, on Sunday, October the 2nd, we are beginning a, a series of meetings that re, we refer to as a, as a revival. The word revival is defined as a return, a recall, or a recovery to life from death or apparent death. Uh, it also can be defined as return or recall to activity from a state of languor or neglect. So I want, you to, I want you to think about those definitions. They're not listed there for you, but in both definitions, uh, revival is, a, uh, is, it is, it is to something from something, right? It is to life from death. It is to activity from neglect. I mean, that's what, that's what revival is. It is, a, it is a stirring in many respects in which we're, uh, we're, we're, we're stirred back to movement and back to, uh, to action in which God uh, literally gets us, gets us going again. And you know, revival is intended in a spiritual sense. It is intended to be an awakening of men to their spiritual concerns and their spiritual needs. And because, because we're physical beings, uh, I should say... In because we're spiritual beings living in a physical, carnal world, a revival meeting like this is of absolute importance and necessity. You can have revival without attending a revival meeting. Did you know that? Uh, I, I, I want to I set the stage tonight because you know, what my, you know what my heart is, you know what my prayer is and my passion is, is that we don't wait until October the 2nd to start thinking about revival. You know what I think ought to happen? I think as a church, we ought to start, we ought to start seeking revival tonight. And we ought to pray every day between now and then. And you know what? If for some reason the Lord doesn't send it during that meeting, we ought to keep on praying for it until he does send it. I, 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 don't, I don't buy into this thing that you have to go to a revival meeting to be revived. I believe you can have revival right here and right now if you want it. You know, we schedule meetings such as, uh, such as a revival uh, because we want to give attention and we want to give time and emphasis to this sort of thing. But again, our desire would be that our church live in a perpetual state of revival and renewal. In other words, in other words, you don't have to wait for revival week to get here to be revived. You don't. And revival, and revival does not have to end in your life. It does not have to end in our families. It does not have to end in our church just because a scheduled meeting comes to a conclusion either. Uh, the Lord wants us to have revival uh, all the time, to be living a revived or a risen life as it's detailed for us here in our text. And I want to say this, revival is possible. I, I know, I know we're living in 2022, and the church as a whole, not necessarily this one, but the church as a whole is more carnal than it has ever been. I was listening to a, I was listening to a podcast yesterday, and, um, and I was cleaning my garage out, and I was listening to a podcast. I normally try to listen to things when I'm working. It kind of makes the time go quicker, and I feel like I'm accomplishing something. And I was listening to a, uh, uh, to a church podcast. It was about church work. And, uh, and the, 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 the two gentlemen that were overseeing it, they, uh, they said this. They said, from their perspective, one of them travels quite a bit, and he's very involved in church and, 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 and church life and that sort of thing. It's sort of a national name. And he said something to this effect. He said, since COVID, he said, I hardly know of any churches that are, that are still growing. 
He said, since COVID, he said, I feel like every church is in a state of decline. And it, and it feels that way. It feels that way. I don't know what happened. I mean, I do know what happened, but I don't know what happened in our minds that made us, that made us think that because you know, we entered into a period in which we were dealing with a virus that it was suddenly okay to leave off attending church for the rest of our lives. I don't know how that, I don't know how that happened. Now, I, I know I'm standing here, I'm talking to you, and you're sitting here saying, take it easy on us, we're here tonight, all right? But, but I'm, I'm saying as a whole, I'm talking about the church as a whole is in a state of decline. And we're living in a very, very carnal, sensual, uh, even church age. That's the, that's the age in which we're living. Even within the church, these things are present. But I want you to know something. I want you to know something. I haven't lost hope. And neither should you. We can still have revival in 2022. Now, I can't, I can't help what goes on in other churches and other places. That, uh, that has nothing to do with me. We ought to pray for other churches, pr- churches here in our community. They're trying to reach people. We ought to pray for them. We ought to cheer them on. We ought to root for them. But I can't control what's happening in those places. But here's what I can do. I can control what's happening here. The church is a body I, I, in much the same way. I can't, I can't control what you do with your body, but I can control what I do with my body. And I would just say that, listen, if you're a part of this church, this is where God has called you and your family. This is where God has led you. Then there ought to be a hunger. There ought to be a thirst for this church, listen, to move forward. And if, if for some reason we're in a state of decline, if it can be identified that, yeah, we're sort of in a state of decline as well, that God would reverse that and that we would begin to see a renewal that we would begin to see a revival in every one of our hearts and every one of our lives. James 4, 8 says this, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. That's, what, that's really what revival is, isn't it? It's just drawing nigh to God and letting him draw nigh to us. Did, did you know that you can be as close to God as you want to be? I think that's a, I think that's a, fun, a fundamental and a fantastic truth. As you sit here tonight, maybe some of you are sitting here saying, you know, I, don't, I just don't really feel that close to the Lord. I just, I just feel like there's something missing. Then you know what? You know what? You can change that tonight. Because if you'll draw nigh to God, you know what he's promised to do? He says, you, you, you take one step towards me and I'll take two or three towards you. You get close to me and I'm gonna get as close to you as you want me to be. Listen, church family, we can have revival. Now, because revival is a return, a recall or recovery to life from death, I believe it is appropriate for us to visit and consider for the next two Sunday nights that I have an opportunity to preach to you, uh, Colossians chapter number three. In this text, Paul appeals to a similar concept. He, he, he appeals to, to people who are now to have life from, from death, that they were, they were at one time, they were dead, but he says, you're not dead anymore. You're risen with Christ. And if so, if you have been risen with Christ, well, then your, your life ought to give evidence of that fact. And here are some ways that you, that you and I, our life can give evidence to the fact that we have risen with Christ. Now, now understand, listen, as believers, we have been given life through Christ's resurrection from the dead. In other words, I want you to understand, why is it so important? Why is it so important that Jesus came out of that grave? Because when Jesus came out of that grave, you believe on him today, you came out of that grave as well. You came out of that grave. And, and in, a, in a greater sense, in a greater, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I talked this morning a little bit about, uh, about you know, death and not being afraid of death and that sort of thing because of, because of what Christ has done in our lives. But I'll just let you in on a little secret. I'm not really excited about that portion of things. 
I don't know, I've always felt kind of weird, and I'm just being just transparent with you tonight. I just felt kind of weird about, I, I, do, I spent a lot of time in funeral homes, and, and I told you this before, I, as a pastor, I'm one of the last people, I'm one of the last people to look on uh, the, the precious faces of our loved ones for the very last time here on this earth. And we have a funeral service, and family, everybody files past, the family files past, and then everyone leaves, and the funeral director closes the parlor doors. And normally I stay there with them. And I watch as they, as they prepare the body for closing the casket for the final time. And I understand, listen, this is a little bit more of it, but, I, but, but, but I'm going somewhere with this. And I see that. And I, I sit there and think, I don't like that. I don't like the lights going out for the last time in some respects. And I certainly don't like walking out to a cemetery and putting that box over that hole in the ground. And of course, we don't really normally get to watch that. And I'm sort of thankful that we, that we don't. But you know what happens when we leave. And you know that that, uh, that, that, that that thing is slowly lowered into the ground and there's usually a vault that's placed over it and then they shovel a bunch of dirt on it. I don't know about you, but I don't like that. I don't like it at all. But I want you to know something. Because Jesus came out of the grave, I don't have to stay there. That ought to, that ought to thrill our hearts and thrill our lives. Now, I'm not real thrilled that I have to be there, Period. I'm talking about in, a, in my physical body. I know when I, when I die, I know where I'm going. I'm not even going to be there. But you get the idea. You know where I'm, I'm going with this. But because Jesus came out of that grave, listen, I'm not going to stay there either. That ought, to, that ought to rejoice our hearts. That ought to thrill us to know that because of what Jesus did, I don't have to stay buried in that ground. There is a resurrection day coming someday. But I want you to understand something. Christ's resurrection impacts more than just that final day. Christ's resurrection from the dead, it ought to have a daily impact in our lives each and every day. Every day we get up, I ought to say, I ought to say Lord, Lord, here's another day. Lord, help me to live the risen life. If I've been risen with Christ, then there's, there ought to be a difference in the way that I live. There ought to be a difference in the way each and every one of us lives. You know, you know that, that, that living things are different than dead things. You know that, don't you? Now, you... You should know that my house is where plants come to die. True story. That's where plants come to die. Um, we were given, I don't know where we got it. We were, we were given some plant uh, earlier this year, and, and uh, we set it outside, and you're going to be okay if I tell this story, right? She's looking at me like, don't, don't say it, but I'm, we killed the thing. I mean, we just absolutely killed it. I mean, it's the most pathetic looking, looking plant you've ever, it's Charlie Brown's Christmas tree when all of the petals fall off. It's, it's what it is. And, uh, and, and, and you, you understand, when you look at something like that, you don't have, you don't have to be a botanist. You don't got to be George Washington Carver to be able to look at that and say, that thing is dead. You've never, you never spent a day in a, in a class where you've been given an education on, on, on flowers and plants. You just look at it and say, that is dead. No doubt about it. No, no question about it. It's dead as can be. And, and that's not just true in the, in the plant world. That's true in the human and animal world, too. You, you, look upon, you look upon something that is dead, and, and there's, there's a look to it, isn't there? When you look upon something that is alive, you know it, don't you? You don't have to wonder. You have to question, is it, is it still alive? Well, it's breathing. It's moving. You know, the eyes are open, and they're moving, and it's talking. It must be alive. And I just want you to know something. Listen, listen there, there's no room. There's no room in the Christian life for dead Christians no, we've been risen with Christ. We have, a, we have a responsibility to be alive in Christ Jesus. And in Colossians chapter number three, we are given, we are given the, the risen or the revived life. Now, now understand that when we, we look at our, when we look at our world, God sees, he sees a great deal of death, doesn't he? 
I'm talking about in a spiritual sense. But, but, but you know, the truth is, is that as a, as a church, we demand, we demand a membership that is saved. We demand that. In other words, you can't join this church unless you have a testimony that you have repented of your sin and you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you've been scripturally baptized. Those are the, those are the prerequisites for church membership. Now, that's what we, that's what we insist upon. We believe that's a, we believe that's a Bible concept. We believe that Christ's church is a, is a body that is made up of saved and baptized people. I want you to know something. That even though we demand a, a saved and baptized membership, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, even as a church, we can resemble death and dying in our lives. We say we're alive. We say that we're born again. We say that we have new life in Christ. And yet, and yet if we're not careful, and if we're not determined to live the risen life, listen, we can, we, we, can, we can be just as dead and just as dying as any place here on this planet. I'm talking in a spiritual sense. There are no guarantees. We can't just go through the motions. We have to be intentional about living the risen or the revived life. Now, let me share with you two main thoughts. It'll take us through about the middle of the chapter, and then, Lord willing, we'll, 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 we'll take the, the next two the next time that we're together. Notice, first of all, the risen life. The risen life, it has several features, and I want you to see them in the text. Number one, the risen life features new priorities. The risen life features new priorities. And we see those priorities in verses one through eight. So those who are risen with Christ, they discover a new set of priorities. These priorities are discovered in these first eight verses. I want you to see them. Number one, number one is the priority of eternity. If you are risen with Christ, you have a new set of priorities. In other words, you're living for something new. And you know what that, you know what that first thing that you're living for is? You're, you're, you're living for eternity. I remember as a young man in Bible college, we used to sing a song, I think it was written by Alfred Smith. Alfred Smith, some of you would know who he is, but Alfred Smith wrote a song and he taught it to us when I was in Bible college because he was actually, he came as a guest one time when I was there. And the title of the song was With Eternity's Values in View. Anybody ever heard that song? Okay, a few of you. <clears throat> Maybe Brother and Mrs. Jones and I can sing it as a trio one of these days. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be something? With eternity's values in view. But beautiful song. And it is essentially what, what Paul is saying here. He is saying, listen, listen you, you and I need to live our lives not thinking about the here and now, not placing much emphasis on the here and now, but we're living our lives with an, with an eternity in our view or in our perspective. You know, one of the great struggles of this life is acknowledging and then living like this life is not all there is. Isn't that a, isn't that a battle for all of us? Is, is for us to keep in mind the fact that this isn't everything. It feels like it's everything, doesn't it? You know, when you have a bad day or when a bunch of things go wrong, it just feels like your world is coming to an end. How am I going to go on? How can I have joy and how can I have any peace? Well, here's how you can have joy and you can have some peace. By, by, by not putting the emphasis on things down here, but instead setting your affection on things above, not on things here on the earth. In other words, on your worst day, if you are living the risen life and you have the priority of eternity on your worst day, you can still say, you know what though? Praise the Lord. Because I'm not living, I'm not living for this, this world and this life. That's how, I don't you suppose that's how Job made it through the, through the, the, the days of trial and difficulty that he experienced? I mean, the whole world is collapsing around. He loses all of his children. He loses all of his wealth and his status. Then he loses his health. 
And his own wife is saying, what are you going to do in this mess? And he just, he just kept praising God, didn't he? Why? Because, because of the priority of eternity. And this is a problem for us because this earth is clearly seen, and yet heaven and eternity are not clearly seen. We sort of have a difficult time keeping them in our minds and, and thinking much about the life and the world that is to come. I don't wish this on anybody, but here's what I have noticed when, when, when we lose someone that we're really close to is heaven becomes really real to us in those moments. Have you ever noticed that? When, when, when it's someone that you know and you love and now, and you, and you know for sure that they, they died with their faith in Christ and you start to think about heaven in a little bit different way, don't you? Because they're there. Someone you know is there. Obviously, we know, we know Jesus and we read of the, the saints, but, but I mean, talk about something that I, have, that I have met in a physical sense, someone that I have spent time with in a physical sense that I've looked at and I've, I've beheld them and I've heard their voice and I've, I've talked to them and I've, I, I've, I've touched them, I've held them. They're on the other side. And there's just something about that, isn't there? But aside from that, we struggle sometimes, don't we? To think about heaven in a, in a, in a, in a sense of, of it being very real to us. We get up every day and we live in this world and everything down here is, is real and we can feel it and we can touch it and we can see it and we can hear it. All of these things that go into our, our life and in our, into our world. And so we struggle sometimes, we struggle sometimes to think about eternal life in this way. And I just have to tell you, it is not uncommon for believers to be as materialistic as unbelievers. We're just so focused on this world and on this life. We tend to love money. New houses and new cars and clothing and experiences. We love all of those things just as much as our counterparts in the world love those things. And Paul writes that we are to seek things above and we are to set our affection on things above. And, and, and so here's the question. Why should the eternal be a priority for believers? Well number, one, well, number one, I believe that it should be a priority for us. Eternity should be a priority for us, number one, because our eternal destiny is settled. Look in verse, look in verse number three. Why, why should, why should you have a priority of things that are eternal? Well, he tells us in verse number three, for ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. So you know why, you know, you know why you should, you should have the priority of, of eternal? Because, because listen, you're, you're dead to these things down here. And, and as, as a believer, all that really matters is, what's, is what's, what's happened on the other side and laying up treasure for the other side and preparing ourselves for that place. He says, your life is hid with Christ in God. Now, I, I just want you to know that if my eternal destiny was committed to my trust and my safekeeping, I would likely lose it. And so would you. I, I mean, I, I would not have been able to stay saved for one day if it was up to me. I mean, honestly. I think about your life. Think about your, uh, your salvation, your spiritual journey. And if salvation and keeping your salvation was up to you, how long would you be saved? 15 minutes, 15 hours, 15 days. I don't know, probably somewhere in that ballpark. Maybe, probably 15 days would be a bit much for any of us. But you know what? My life is hid with Christ and God. My life, my life is, not, is not, I'm not holding on to this thing myself. No, no, no my, my life is hid with Christ and God. That's what he's saying there. He is saying that my eternal destiny is kept, not by me, but is kept by the one who dined for me. And because he's holding on to me, because he has hidden my life with him uh, on the other side, listen, no one, no one can take it away from me. 
No one can, can wrestle that eternal life away from me. Why? Because my life is hid with Christ in God, which, lead, which led Paul to write these, these verses, 2 Timothy 1, 12. For the, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able. I'm not able, but I am persuaded that he is able to keep, to, keep, to hold on to, uh, to keep secure that which I have committed unto him against that day. You know why I'm going to heaven? I'm not going to heaven because I'm a preacher, because I grew up in a Christian home, because I'm a church member. I'm going to heaven because, because on, a, on a day in June in 1990, I gave my life to Christ. And you know what? He's been holding on to it ever since. And, and I ought to, my, heaven and eternal things ought to be a priority for me. Why? Because my eternal destiny is settled. I, um, I wonder, have you ever thought, have you ever thought this thought? I just think about this as I was preparing this week. Have you ever thought that you have an eternal address? Now think about that for a moment. I don't know what your address is, but I have an eternal address. And so do you if you're saved. You have a home in heaven that is currently under construction. When I was a boy, I think it was the year 1993, my parents, my parents bought some property. At that time, I'd have been 13, 14 years old. They bought some property outside of town. We had been living on West 128th Street for uh, most of my life. That's where I grew up, and, um, and a, lot of, a lot of good memories there. But uh, my parents felt like, you know, the time was right for them to move, and so they bought some property. Now, actually, it was out in Olmstead Falls, and they, and they built a home there on that property in Olmstead Falls. And again, the year was 1993, and, and, uh, and I remember that was certainly, certainly an exciting time for us as a, as a family. And I remember, I remember that what had happened was my dad had hired a guy that was going to sort of be the general contractor, and, and something happened, and the guy was not able to finish the job, and so my dad became sort of the default general contractor. And uh, which is something because I mean my dad doesn't know how to build a house right and and uh, and so I think you know he probably got some help and and uh, probably you know things were set in motion so it was just making sure that everything got done that was supposed to get done but I remember because he became that general contractor we spent a lot of time out at that house and I remember every time we'd pull up we think well we're going to live here someday one day one of these days we're going to live here but it's not yet. And we would go, I remember walking through that house and it was nothing but just, it was just, you know, the studded walls. There was no drywall, there was no finish, there was nothing. And, um, and I, I, remember, I remember going through there and, and watching them as the drywall started to get hung and, and, uh, and thinking to myself, I remember thinking, we're gonna live here? This place is a mess. I mean, you know, you know how construction workers are, you know, they, you know, they, I mean, just throw their junk everywhere. And I'm thinking to myself, my mom is not going to put up with this, you know, and this is really where we're going to live. And, uh, and that, and that was, and that was the place. And I remember, I remember thinking that though we weren't living there yet, we spent a lot of time there. We spent a lot of time there physically and even mentally in our minds. I remember, I can remember sitting, you know, in, in uh, where we were living then and thinking to ourselves, you know, well, we're here now, but we're not going to be here forever. We got it. We, we're building a house right now. And I remember we'd, I'd walk up the stairs and I'd say that, you know, I'd have maybe some of my friends, that's going to be my room right there. That's, that's my room. I had never had a room to myself. I was finally getting my own room. What a glorious day that was. I said, that, that's going to be my room. And, 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 and envisioning that and having, having that, that mental thought. And you know what, you know what I think? I think God would have us to think that way about heaven. Now, you've never been there. I've never been there. But I, I, don't, I don't suppose there's anything wrong with trying to visualize what it looks like. I mean, we've, we, we're given some descriptors in, 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 in the scripture as to what heaven is and some of those things. So just let your imagination run wild. But don't you suppose, don't you suppose that, that God would have you to think about that place every once in a while? 
You know, make up your own address. I don't care. Come up with, come up with something. But think about heaven. Put your, put your attention on things that are eternal. Listen, listen, I know you're not, you're not there yet. But because your life is hid with Christ in God, there is a place that is being prepared for you. And you may not be there yet, but you're going to be there someday. What a glorious thought. What a glorious thought. And because our eternal destiny is settled, then we ought to be prioritizing things that are eternal. But here's a second reason why, why our, our priority, our new priority is on, on, on eternal things. Not only because our eternal destiny is settled, but number two, because this life is so uncertain. This life is so uncertain. Would you look in verse number four? When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Now imagine for just a moment, living your whole life, <laughs> down here, simply, simply for earthly possessions and gains. Obviously, this has been a uh, historic week because the Queen of England um, passed away. Uh, I think maybe, what was it, Thursday? Was it Thursday, Wednesday, Wednesday or Thursday? And of course, there is a, there is a very, very um, historic few days that are in, in, in order for that part of the world. And because, you know, we, we live in this day and age, we can, we can see all of those things as they transpire. I don't know this to be true, but there are people that I, that I trust that do believe in their heart of hearts that the Queen of England was a born-again Christian. I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, I, I, I have no idea, but I, th- I think to myself, I sure hope she is, and you ought, to hope, you ought to hope every person that passes away, you ought to hope, you ought to hope that they're saved, because I, I've often thought to myself, imagine. Have you seen the places those, those people live? I mean, unreal. I, I mean, and and, and, it, and they, it's not like they just have one castle or palace i mean they, they here, this is my summer one you know that's where i go for the summer months you know i think about that for a minute some of you are like well i got a summer castle it's an rv you know and it you know it, it works just fine for me but this is a, this is on another level altogether these people these people are living life but i've often i've often thought imagine Imagine you live your whole life and you have, you have homes that have a, you, you think about this. I guarantee you that that woman, there, there were bedrooms in those ca- castles she'd never even been in. Now think about that for a minute. Now some of you, you got bedrooms that you wish you'd never, never had to go in, right? And uh, no one should ever have to see that because of the way your kids live, you know? But, but, um, but, but think about that. Think about it. She's got, she's got square footage. She's got property. The, you know the castle she died in? Uh, Balmoral there in Scotland. Fifty thousand acres am i the only one that thinks that is astounding <laughs> Fifty thousand acres you know what that is that's like bigger than the size of cleveland i mean maybe not but i mean it's big uh, you know bear with me here i didn't do i didn't do much math ahead of time right but it's huge Fifty thousand acres so here is here's someone i don't know if she's saved or not but let's let's imagine let's imagine she's not and let's imagine she enjoys all of that. I mean, she wears the crown. She wears the crown. I mean, everywhere she goes, people uh, obsess over her. And she got to live 96 years. You read, you read some of the stories in the Bible. I, I feel bad for the guys that are kings for like two years. I'm like, man, <laughs> you finally get there and you get two years? That's no good. This woman got 70, you know, beat that, right? Uh, maybe, maybe one of the longest, longest living, serving monarchs there ever was. And, but, but think for a moment, if this is all there is, and she, and she, and she dies, and we're all going to die. I don't know what she died of, but we're all going to die. I have, I have to think she had the best medical attention and medical care imaginable. She had it all, and yet she died. 
And imagine you, you've lived for all of this and that's all that you care about. That's all that you think about. And you die. 96 years, you say, that's a long life, but that's not very long in, in light of eternity. And all of a sudden, everything, everything that you'd lived for is gone in a moment. Oh man, let that sink in for a moment. Why should, why should you and I live for the eternal? Because everything, everything that brings us joy and pleasure in this life, one of these days it's gonna be gone. Everything, everything. This life is so uncertain. At any moment, at any moment, one of two things could happen. You need to live in light of this. At any moment, one of two things could happen. You know what those, those two things are? Either, either, either you could die or Christ could return. When he shall appear, we don't know that's going to be, but when he shall appear, oh man, what a day that's going to be for those of us that are saved, and what a dreadful, terrible day that's going to be for those that are lost. When he shall appear. And everything, everything that we hold dear, listen, everything that we hold dear, in that moment, in that moment will be worthless. Absolutely worthless. You mean a 50,000 acre palace? I mean, the palace isn't 50,000 acres, but the land, the ground of it is. You mean that will be worthless, something that would be worth hundreds of millions, maybe even billions of dollars? You better believe it. It'll be absolutely worthless. Because when, when Christ shall appear, oh, listen, at that point, all of this, all of this is no longer important. It doesn't matter. And because this life is so uncertain, some of you are flying high right now. Life is great. Life is wonderful. And you're sitting here saying, yeah, I get what you're saying, but I'm, I'm, sort of, I'm sort of living the life right now. I mean, I'm on a roll here. I'm making more money than I've ever made, and I'm, I'm more successful than I've ever been, and my marriage is better than it's ever been, and, and boy, we, we've got plans, and we've got dreams, and we've got visions of what we're going to do down here. And I'm just simply saying, listen, all of that could end tonight. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said about the man who was building barns and tearing down his old ones and building greater, he said, thou fool, thou fool. So why? Why should you live for the eternal? Because everything, everything down here is so uncertain. Christ is going to appear someday. And when he does, this earth and its possessions will be destroyed. That day is coming. At that point, listen, all that will matter will be the life to come and what is of value there. So seeing that this life is so uncertain, it's here today, potentially gone tomorrow, don't live for this life priority of the eternal. But notice, secondly, there's not only the priority of eternity, but there is the priority in this text of purity. As a believer, as a believer in the risen life, I'm living the risen life now. I'm not living life for myself. I'm not living this world's life. I'm living the risen life. And so as a result, I have a new priority. I'm thinking more about over there than I am down here. I'm more interested in that world, and I'm thinking about that address, and I'm thinking about that home, and what it's going to be like, and, and, and how I can lay up treasure there. I'm thinking more about that than I'm thinking down here. And then, and then I'm thinking about the priority of purity. Verses five to eight, he says, mortify therefore, because of this, because you're, you're risen with Christ, because your, uh, your life is hid with Christ and God, because eternity is more of, a, more of a priority, then mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Since we still live down here for the time being, we sort of discover a, a dichotomy here in this text, and that is this. While we are a people of eternal life, we are people of eternal life, there is a death that should be present in our lives. You might want to write that down somewhere. As, as someone who has, a, has eternal life, God still expects for me to be there, to, to be some level of death in my life. Isn't that interesting? I'm risen with Christ, 
And yet as I look at the totality of my life, God still has an expectation that some things be put to death, that some things be killed. He says, mortify, therefore, your members. We are told to kill. We are told to put to death impurity in our lives. You know, there are certain things that just do not belong in the life of an unbeliever. Excuse me, of a believer. And we, listen, we are given the ability to overcome certain things through the resurrection power of Christ. In other words, because I'm risen with Christ, his power lives in me, so I don't have to live in defeat to these things anymore. I have resurrection power inside of me. I'm risen. This isn't just something for Sunday. This is something for right here and right now. Look what you're to put to death. Number one, you're to put to death fleshly lusts. Verses five to seven. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. So when he says, he says, mortify, therefore, your members, that, that word members, you know what that means? It literally means your limbs. Your limbs. What are our limbs? It's our, it's our hands, it's our arms, it's our feet, it's our legs. It's the things that we, that we, that we touch and that, we, um, that, that we, we use to get around and go where we want to go. And he says, put those things to death. You know, you know, what, you know what the Apostle Paul, you know what the Holy Spirit understands? The Holy Spirit understands that your flesh has certain cravings or certain desires. It just does. I know, I know, sitting here saying, brother, I have been saved for 50 years and I no longer have any cravings or any desires that are of an impure nature and you are a liar. You're a liar. I mean, you're the biggest liar in this room because you will never, listen, on this earth, you will never get to a point, you will never get to a point where you, where you don't have cravings and desires that are of a sinful fleshly nature. It just doesn't exist because you're, you're, you're trapped in this body of flesh at this point in time and that sin nature is wanting to rule over you and it's wanting to rule over me. You don't, you don't believe that your flesh has certain cravings or desires. Just ask Eve. Just ask Samson. Just ask David. I mean, do we need to go on? I mean, listen, we, we, have, we have a whole list of people who, who are in Scripture, who their life, their life was rolling along and it was doing so well and God had such big plans for them. And yet because they didn't mortify their, their members, because they didn't put to death some things, Oh man, their flesh, it rose up and it, I mean, it came, it came to bite them. Nearly, nearly destroyed them if not for the grace of God. What I'm saying is we often want what does not belong to us. And Paul deals with this specifically in these verses. And I think it's quite obvious. I'm, I'm going to try to be, I'm going to try to be um, appropriate here. But it's quite obvious that he is talking about sins that are of an immoral nature. I mean, that, that's the list. That's the list right there. Look what he says. He says fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, uh, evil concupiscence, I'll get it out. That word concupiscence, it's speaking of filth. Evil, filthy thoughts and wants and desires that sometimes fill our lives. All of those things, he, he goes on to say, and covetousness, to want something that doesn't belong to you. He says, which is idolatry. You know, you know what that means? That means that, means that when, I, when, when I covet something, and I eventually justify taking it. You, you know how that's idolatry? That's idolatry because here's what I'm saying. I'm saying, God, I'm more important than you. I'm more important than you. I'm worshiping myself. I'm worshiping my body. And because my body and my flesh want these things, well, then I'm just going to go ahead and take it. That's how, that's how it becomes idolatry. 
Because in that moment, in that moment, what we're saying, we're saying, Lord, I love myself. I worship myself more than I love and worship you and what you've told me in your word. And therefore, I'm just going to go ahead and take this even though I know I shouldn't. But because I want it so bad, because I'm coveting after it, I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And he says, you know what that is? That becomes idolatry. You, you, are, you are an idol worshiper. And you're not bowing, you're not bowing before, before a stone image or a wooden image. You're bowing before yourself. You might as well go into your room and get down on your knees in front of your mirror and worship yourself because that's exactly what you're doing. So he says, put to death your fleshly lusts. Believers are not to be impure morally. He tells us God's wrath comes on those who do these things. And he reminds us that though these be in your past history, because he said, look what he says in verse number seven, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. You know what he's saying? He's saying, that's in your past. You don't live there anymore. You're supposed to be living the risen life. You've, you've, you've put to death those things. You don't live there anymore. That ought not to be a part of your life now. So here's what, here's what I think he's saying. He's saying, that's in your past history. That doesn't belong in your present lifestyle. Put it to death. Put to death your fleshly lust. Stay away from, listen, you know, you know what he's saying? He's saying, stay away from someone who isn't your spouse. That's what he's saying. And that, and that doesn't just include those of us that are married. That includes those of us that are not married. It's good. It's good not to touch a woman. It's good not to, not to go down that road, to stay away from that, uh, to, to avoid that sort of thing, because he understands. He understands that's going to awaken some things. Uh, your flesh is going to want more, and if you want to avoid that, then, then stay away from it altogether. There's no, there's no place. There's no place for a believer to be impure. Stay away from somebody's spouse. You know, you know what? I think we got to touch on this. It, he's, saying, he's saying avoid pornography. Stay as far away from it as you possibly can. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the world is overrun with this stuff. It's everywhere. And because we, because we carry you know, smartphones and we have our tablets and we have computers in our homes and at workplaces and you know, your car practically is a computer, it is available everywhere, everywhere. I'm just telling you, it'll destroy your life. It will absolutely destroy your life. And you don't believe me, you don't believe me. You, you follow me around for a week and you sit in that office and I talk, I talk to folks, I talk to folks who that has, it's, it's destroying them. It's destroying them. There's no place, there's no place. Put to death fleshly lives. But you know, notice, notice he says, he says, he says and then in verse eight, nine, put to death acceptable sins. Now, now likely you read verse number five and you thought, well, I'm good. I'm good. I'm not a fornicator. I'm not an adulterer. I, Evil concupiscence. I don't even know what that is. I'm good. I'm okay. And, 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 and you know, the whole time we tolerate verses eight and nine in our lives. Look, he says in verse number eight, he says, but now ye also put off. You know, you know, some of us are saying, oh man, he didn't touch on any of my sins. I'm good. Oh, you're, you're not out of the woods yet. <laughs> the chapter's still going. Yeah, you, you mortify those things. You put those things to death. But guess what? There's some other things you need to take off as well. And look what he says. He says in verse number eight, but now you also put off all these. Anger. Um, maybe the altar ought to be open right now. For all of us. For all of us. Anger. Are you kidding me? You know, if I'm, if, if, if I'm looking at verses five, six, and seven, maybe I'm doing Okay. I come to verse number eight, and I fail, I fail right at the top of the list. Anger. Man, flying off the handle, losing my cool, getting mad at my wife, or getting mad at my children, or, 
You know, I don't have a dog, but if I had one, I'd probably get mad at him too. You know, getting mad at the driver in front of me. I mean, I'm sitting at the light. I am so impatient that when that, when that light turns green, I mean, if he doesn't, if he doesn't step on it immediately, he's going to hear from me. Come on, let's go. Anger, and the whole time my kids are watching. Now think about that. Think about how pathetic that is. Dad is, dad is such a maniac that he can't, he can't sit for two more seconds. Anger? Get rid of that. Wrath? Similar. Malice? Blasphemy? Here's a big one. Filthy communication out of your mouth. What's filthy communication? I, I would say, I would say it's anything that comes out of your mouth that shouldn't come out of your mouth. You say, well, I don't curse and swear. But do you gossip about people? Are you critical about people? Well, they deserve it. Because it's a filthy communication. You, out of your mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. At the same time, out of the same fountain proceeds sweet water and bitter. That just ought not to be, he says. Put it away. Put it to death. Get rid of it. You, you, you and I need to be pure. Listen, listen. Here, here's, here's what I'm saying. These uh, this, this list that, that is given here is, is, is the thought is, is you know, that we don't view these things as seriously as we ought to. And, and we, th- we, think, we think so long as I'm not doing the really bad things, I'm okay. And the whole time, listen, the whole time, you know why we don't have revival in our church? is because we're okay with a little bit of anger. We're okay with a little bit of wrath, a little bit of malice, a little bit of filthy communication. I mean, come on, everybody. Everybody cuts people down. Everybody stands off in the corner of the church whispering about this person and that person to somebody else. I mean, everybody does that. I bet even the pastor does that. Well, guess what? If the pastor does it, he's just as wrong as you are. It doesn't matter who does it. It's still wrong. And, and we, 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 we don't have revival because we're sitting here saying, well, I've gotten the, I've gotten the major sin out of my life, and, and, and I'm, 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 I'm probably, you know, maybe I've got a few things, but it's really not that big of a deal. And it is a big deal. It is a big deal because we've got, we've, got new, we've got new priorities. And you can't, listen, you can't be pure and I can't be pure and our church can't be pure if we're filled with people that are angry. Losing our cool with people and filled with people that display wrath and malice and react and flashes of anger and bitterness and, and we, we cannot have revival. We cannot be what God has called us to be so long as we're lying and we're saying things that we ought not to say and we're being critical and we're, we're gossiping and we're backbiting against one another. We can't have revival as long as those things are, are tolerated in our lives and in our midst. The risen life, the risen life demands that we live life at a higher level and when we live life at a higher level it means we have new priorities those new priorities are living for things that are eternal and living, living to be pure. We're putting to death our fleshly lust, but we're also putting to death those more acceptable sins that our society says aren't that big of a deal. And we're sitting here saying they're just as big of a deal as anything because they're keeping me from having revival. They're keeping me from living the risen life. And I don't want to go on any longer like that. 